0: www.smallbusinessdigest.net You know, this is
1: our first show of the new year. Uh, we've, we've been off for a while. Uh, I've been off having an operation, but ha- happily everything seems to be working better. And and to- today, for our first uh, guest of the new year, we have Lourdes Martin-Ross, She's an American Express open advisor on government contracting. And she has the results of a very fascinating uh, survey that they just completed. And we're gonna talk about government contracting in general. Welcome, Lourdes, welcome to the program.
2: Thank you, thank you so much for having me. And we're very excited to be part of the show.
1: Well, before we, uh, as we ask all our guests, Lourdes, tell us a little bit about yourself personally and and professionally, so we have a little uh, idea about you.
2: Well, um, you know, my name is Lourdes Martin-Rosa and I am the president of Government Business Solutions. We actually are an 8A woman-owned small business and we have been very proud to be part of a very Strong initiative helps boosting small business government contracting opportunities in the federal government space. With American Express open for about eight years now, um, as American Express's advisor in government contracting, we've been able to create numerous events across the nation, connections with billions of dollars in contracting opportunities for the small business sector. And um, today, we're going to talk about some highlights and some key findings. From a recent survey that American Express opens Government um, Contracting Division um, has found out that we'd like to share with the small business um, audience today.
1: Okay, Lourdes, you you set the stage and tell us what those results were.
2: <laughs> um, surprisingly, even though there is a lack of growth in spending in the recent years, the federal government, you know, remains an important. Um, growth-oriented segment for small businesses small businesses have not only um, the ability to win a piece of the large 500 uh, expenditures 500 billion dollars in expenditures but it's a mandate 23 percent of the small business um, their small business goals across the board so that means approximately about 90 billion dollars in government contracts were awarded to small businesses in fiscal year 2015 And given this level of spending, American Express Open Survey has found out a couple of things that are very important. Number one is that the cost of doing business with the federal government has continued to rise, up 15% from the past three years and up 72% since 2009. Um, We have found that active federal contractors reported an average spending of about 148,000 or so last year seeking federal government contact opportunities as compared to our previous survey where the dollar amount was at 126000 in 2015. We also feel that the that the increase in the small business participation and the increase in dollar spending has to do with the fact that in 2013, we hadn't met the 23% small business goal. We were at an average of about 21%. But in 2015, we met and surpassed The 23% goal, that meant that more opportunities, even though there was less spending, more opportunities were being channeled towards small businesses. And that included market research, requests for information that was posted in different federal agency sites. So therefore, there is going to be an increase in spending in small business contract opportunities. Another thing is that we also, um, considered is on average, active contractors submit, submitted nearly about 18 prime contractors between 2013 and 2015, and participated in about 11 bids of contractors. You see, as a federal government contractor myself, you have to understand that you need to submit at least 30 to 40 bids. There is cost that is um, associated with that, but the reward that you will have as a government contractor, surpass the hard work that you, that you definitely will
1: have to go through. You know, the, those figures are, are, are all great and, they, and they, um, uh, they they say what a great marketplace it is. But uh, you, uh, many small businesses um, try to get into the marketplace and are overwhelmed or discouraged by, by the, the rules and regulations. Can you talk to us about that, Lourdes, and say some of the things that are good and bad and how to overcome them?
2: Yes, definitely. I I will tell you that as an active government contractor myself, I've been doing business with the federal government for over 20 years. And in the first three years, we were actually doing business as subcontractors, learning the ropes, trying to get a feel of this um, contracting arena, which is doing business a little bit differently than it is in the corporate world. But I will tell you that as a government contractor, please make sure that you have patience and that there are a wealth of resources out there to help you engage. And now with the administration boosting opportunities for small businesses, um There are the SBA offices, the Small Business Administration offices. You also have procurement technical assistance centers. These are called CPACs. You also have Small Business Development Centers. These are called SBDC centers. All of these locations are free and you can go and learn how to capture government contracting opportunities within your location um, on the federal side. Also, as I mentioned, doing business with the federal government is bigger like a slow moving ship rather than a fast moving train. It is going to take you on average as compared to our surveys before that said about 18 months to reach that first government contract. However, once you're on board on that moving ship and you perform on time and on budget, word starts spreading around and you will have yourself a good, viable customer, that pays on time. And thanks to the Small Business Act that the Obama administration put through, we get paid within 15 days after billing. I don't know of any corporation that does that today for small businesses. And I will tell you that for cash flow and payroll purposes, that is definitely a plus. So having the federal government as a customer is definitely very, very important. And our survey findings say that while bidding activity is up, only the largest contractors are more active in contract performance um, compared to five years ago. What we're seeing is that there are more subcontracting opportunities and that contracts are being more awarded during, uh, through swim lanes of like AA certified firms, women-owned small business firms, firms that are in hub zone locations veteran-owned small businesses, and also firms that are on GSA schedules. These are programs that small businesses could um, enroll in and qualify for that will help them gain a competitive edge in government contracting. And on the American well, Express... <clears throat> Go ahead.
1: Oh, no, no, you finish that and fast off because it's a good one. Go ahead.
2: I was going to say that on the American Express Open Forum, Um, website. It's called openforum.com backslash government contracting. We have populated numerous years of information um, with an insight guide that small businesses could go down there and download for free. These are Main Street terms, and uh, folks like myself that were the the walk-the-walk, talk-the-talk type people were active government contractors, and um, they could go on the website and basically, download all of this information. But it is the world of the squeaky wheel gets the oil, and persistence definitely
1: will pay off. Well, let me ask you a question. I, I uh, someone just emailed emailed me, but she says um, uh, the person said yes. You talk about women, etc. But but it's very difficult for a uh, non-minority owned or woman-owned business to get contracts. It's much more difficult than those. What do you say to that, Lourdes?
2: Well, um, in our survey says that uh, women-owned federal contractors continue to spend less time and money seeking federal contracts. Uh, In 2011, the Women-Owned Procurement Program was born and it was even sharpened in 2013 to help strengthen opportunities for women and then sharpened even further just last year in 2016. So I think we as women-owned contractors need to step up to the plate. And it is um, not a minority-owned program. The federal government actually does not have a minority-owned program. Their 8 a small disadvantaged business program is not um, minority-owned focused. But, however, to, to qualify for the program, you do have to be small and disadvantaged and belonging to a minority group that qualify you as a, um, as a disadvantage. But also consider an Anglo woman as a, as a roof manufacturer or in construction. She definitely is small and disadvantaged, so she would also qualify for the ADA program. And I know several Anglo women within industries like these that have been able to qualify for these types of programs, and are on their way
1: to uh, growing their business federally. Well, let me ask you, you know, we talk about small business, but but for government contracting, how do they define a small business?
2: That's a good question, and actually I would have to say that we have to go to sba.gov for that answer because it depends on your NAICS Each business has an industry identification code actually it's called North American Industry identification code and if you don't think you have one take a look at your business taxes because um, your accountant assigned one to you (laughs) and um, when we report to the IRS and the federal government comes up with these surveys it is based on that information um, that they gather from the census so um, the small business category let's say for example like a business like myself which is in professional administrative and management consulting which is five four one six one one I am categorized as a small business as long as my um, three-year average of sales are under 14 million however a women-owned or a just a regular um, owned small business in the category of construction which is your 236 and your 238 max codes, those are actually at $35 million and under and in some $33.5 million and under. However, let's take that a step further. If you are an IT manufacturing firm, which is our largest grossing 8 firm, is at $68 million average revenue a year, um, he actually owns an IT manufacturing company and as long as under his next, so it's not um, measured by dollar amount, it's actually measured by employees. And as long as they have 1500 employees and under, they're still considered a small business. So you figure mm. this business in the businesses in this category could actually be doing a hundred million dollars a year and they are still considered small. So wow. it, it, it's well. a safe sense.
1: No, continue, Lourdes. I'm sorry for interrupting you.
2: No, I said it is based on the census and the NAC code. Um, So I Mm -hmm. encourage businesses to go to the sba.gov website and look up what is a small business within their Mm -hmm. category and their industry, because it is different in all industries.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you know, but that's interesting. Um, We're talking those numbers. But what about people? the companies our audience primarily is uh, under a hundred employees, and um, is are there uh, special programs for really small companies like that under fifty employees, under hundred, or uh, uh, ways of? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, um, um,
2: there are programs for small businesses that you know. What you want to do is you always want to set yourself apart from your competitors. You want to be able to gain that competitive edge when it comes to doing business with the federal government and identifying yourself as a small business, as an expert in your industry, also make sure that if you definitely, if you are a woman-owned small business, our survey identified that women contractors are spending less time and less money, even though there are, there is this opportunity with this women's procurement program. We need women business owners to step up to the plate and grab some of this money well, I don't want competition. <laughs> I do want to encourage women to actively participate with the women's procurement program. Also, our returning veterans, there is a service disabled veteran owned small business certification that I encourage them to also qualify for. And those businesses that are in areas. Now, this is um, a unique category because you don't have to belong to any type of a minority group or anything. All you have to have is your primary location be in a historically underutilized business zone, which you could go to the SBA.gov backslash hub zone website to find that information, and then just meet the criteria, submit your certification, and now you're on your way also grabbing that piece of the pie that is set aside for hub zone firms. So as small businesses, We need to learn to work with the system and work with the program that has been designed to help us increase opportunities with small business. Hmm.
1: Well, here's another question that just came uh, across in my email. Uh, The question is, yes, but if you do government contracts, don't they they open you up to more regulations than uh, if you don't do it?
2: Well, you think about the agency. So, for example, if you have, if you're doing business with the Department of Defense or Department of Homeland Security, and it depends on the type of contract. If it's just an administrative support contract or an IT contract, you are not going to be um, adhering to the strenuous, um you know, red tape that you're going to have if you're doing anti-terrorism training, obviously. <laughs> um, but there is. Uh, opportunity out there with the PTAC and the STDC centers to help guide you with some of that red tape that you may have to go through. But Mm -hmm. there are also small business specialists that I do want the audience to know that within each one of the agencies, there is an Office of Small Disadvantaged Business Utilization, which stands for OSCBU. And I encourage the audience to go to the OSCBU.gov website because here they could download each one of the agency small business specialists. So let's say, for example, you're going to start providing um, infrastructure, security, and management training to the PSA office. You want to be able to make sure that you're going to adhere to all of the requirements um, and clauses that are going to be needed to, to be able to fulfill on that contract, and you want to be able to build a strong team. Be able to win that contract. So, the small business office will do the due diligence and will actually help connect you with some of those contracting officers to make sure that you prepare a winning bid once the opportunity is out. So, oh, like, yes, um, but... you know, that, that and, the, and going back to our survey, that's one of the reasons why there's been a, a, an increase on an average of 148,000 uh, in contracting opportunity spending from these small businesses, rather than 126,000 from our recent survey in 2013, because agencies are getting savvy. Agencies are wanting to meet their small business goals as they did in fiscal year 2015. Therefore, they're performing more market leases. Um, as a matter of fact, rather than just putting out a contract, a full and open competition for, you know, every large small business and then they get 200 proposals coming in, agencies are actually getting savvier and saying, I'm going to put out a source of thought notice. I'm going to put out a request for information and I'm going to see if there are any small businesses out there that could perform on this content. Now, it's up to us as small businesses to respond to these sources thought notices and requests for information. Because that's going to help shape that contract um, Opportunity to either be a woman-owned set-aside an 8a SEV set-aside A service to several veterans or a hub zone certified firm a certified contract so um, That is why the survey found that there was an increase in the average of spending as compared to 2013 because small businesses are having to Invest a little bit more money in not just submitting the RFP, the request for proposal, but also those RFIs, request for information, and the market research that agencies are asking from us now that they weren't asking before.
1: Well, uh, 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 let me just go back to the negative, and then I'll you know, pause it. But uh, uh, don't some of these contracts re- require um, the company to pay different differing wages, like prevailing wages and things like that, um, when when they do a contract?
2: Yes, there are. um, Many of the contracts are accompanied by something that's called the Davis Bacon Act that has prevailing wages, but you'll find that they're very fair. Um, The federal government wants to make sure that everyone that is working on a contract um, adheres to that state or that city um, geographical location and the cost of living so therefore that's why they provide that but you'll find that it's very fair I mean I, in the 20 years that I've been doing business with the federal government I will tell you I've never had anything stand out that is not fair so um, uh, you know don't be weary of some of these um, you know uh, wages that you do have to you know adhere to
1: well, we're talking with
2: Lord.
1: I'll say that last thing again, Lordis.
2: I, I said that the um, since some of the contracts are accompanied with the uh, Davis Bacon Act and the wage termination, that should not be a deterrent at all. Actually, that actually will help shape your contract and, and have you be a competitive contractor.
1: Hmm. Well, we're talking with Lordis Martin Rosa. She's with an, um, she's a consultant to the American Express Open Advisors, um, and she's uh, talking about government contracting and doing a hell of a job. Um, uh, Lourdes, we're really glad you're with us. Now, I, I have have another question. How do, uh, how does American Express Open uh, help uh, companies with government contracting?
2: Well, as a small business owner myself, I am very proud to see that a company like American Express has stepped up to the plate and really teamed with um, organizations and agencies like the Small Business Administration, because um, this program actually started back in 2009, and um, I had the opportunity to be on the onset of it, and I was very proud to, because American Express, as a large corporation, understands that You know, small businesses are the economic engine of this country. And um, if we help educate small businesses on how to do business with the federal government, um, imagine the enormous growth potential that small businesses could have. I mean, we all know what was happening back in 2008 and 2009, and it was a scary time. And having the federal government as a customer was a very solid customer that we knew wasn't going to bounce a check. (laughs) Uh, knock on wood, (laughs) and is a very good, viable customer. So American Express not only um, created the Open for Government Contracting Program um, and partnered with small businesses like me, but also uh, partnered with organizations like Women Impacting Public Policy, a co-sponsorship was signed with the SBA, the Small Business Administration. And when the president launched the Women's Procurement Program, they together launched a program called Challenge Her in 2011, which is still strong today, and has been able to connect hundreds of millions of dollars with women uh, women business owners and federal government contracts, and also um, the open for government contracting conferences and events that go across the nation. mean American Express fits the bill, and um, you know millions of dollars of contracting opportunities are negotiated at these events all across the nation and the attendance is free. Uh, No one needs to pay for these events. You have 500 to 600 businesses attend and you have about 50 to 60 agencies, government agencies locally that attend because they are also trying to find small businesses to do business with. Um, So I think it's a great public private marriage with American Express and the federal government and it has boosted billions of dollars
1: in contracting opportunities for small business, and I'm very proud to be part of that program. Well, um, we're getting towards the end of our time together, but what are um, what are the three or four things you would tell any small business uh, to do as they, if they wanted uh, uh, to, to get into the government contracting uh, world? What, what are the two or three, four things that you think are most important? That
2: they understand. If there are any key takeaways that I would definitely leave with our small business listeners today, are to number one, make sure that you identify yourself as a small business, visit the small business website, find out what certifications or how you could stand, um, stand uh, up from your competitors and uh, gain a competitive edge in government contracting through one of the certification opportunities that the SBA offers. Number two is definitely do not give up. This is not, as I say, a fast-moving train. This is a slow-moving ship. But once you are on board, you know you will reap the benefits of being with a very, very fruitful customer that pays on time and um, really admires you as a small business. Number three, I have to say that please visit the American Express Open Forum website. It's openforum.com backslash government contracting. There you'll see some of the events that we have coming up that are maybe in your geographical location. Also, you could download a wealth of information that years and years of consultants like myself have put together. These are in Main Street terms, so they're easy to understand and they're not in government lingo. So we really, excuse me, encourage you to participate and to visit the American Express Open Forum website. And also, this is a squeaky wheel gets the oil and persistence will pay off. According to our survey, we say the average is about 18 months till you get that first contract, that first crime contract. So do what I did, start, um, meeting with other contractors that are already experienced in doing business with the federal government other small business allies within your industry and start as a subcontractor and start niching away from this hundred billion dollar opportunity that's out there for us as small businesses
1: well that's certainly a a, a great information for our listeners uh lord is if people wanted to reach you and not American Express Open, how do they do it?
2: Um, I do have a LinkedIn page. It is um, Government Business Solutions. And uh, I encourage people to please reach out to me on LinkedIn. And also, I have my American Express Open Advisor title on my LinkedIn page. But also, you could reach me through the openforum.com backslash government contracting website where you could download and view for free some of the YouTube videos and the presentations that we've done before.
1: Well, you know, um, Lourdes, we've been talking with Lourdes Martin-Rosa. She's with with, uh, an advisor to American Express Open on government contracting. And I know she's given us all a lot to think about. And we really thank her for coming uh, today and joining us. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you.
1: Uh, Please, we're going to invite you back again. Uh, Tell us more. Thank you.
2: I would love to. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Behold, Little Caesar's deep, deep dish pizza with more cheese.
1: Where did they put it?
3: In the crust. Yes, they added over three and a half feet of cheese right in the crust. Cheesy crust, cheesy crust, they put it in the crust. It makes something great, even
0: better. Yes, it does.
1: Yes, it does. With the front. Little Caesars stuffed crust deep, deep dish pizza stuffed with over three and a half feet of cheese,
0: just ten bucks, only at Little Caesars. Pizza Pizza. At participating locations plus tax. We've heard a lot these days about lead generation and lead conversion and how uh, how do you uh, get your leads not to abandon you at the cash register. Well, we have someone today who's going to talk to us about it. Chris Lucas is vice president of marketing for Formstat, and he's, he's going to talk about what they've learned and how we, can, we, being small business people, can take advantage of what they've learned. But
3: Fios is not cable. We're wired differently, which means you can get the fastest Internet available with equal upload and download speeds from 50 to 500 megs. So you can upload 200 photos before your favorite song is finished. Click the ad and switch to files today to get our best offer ever.
0: So usual, we ask Chris to tell us a little bit about himself personally as we welcome him to the program.
3: Yeah, thank you. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm the VP of uh, VP of marketing at Formstack. Um, so Formstack is a online form provider. We allow small businesses, medium-sized businesses to uh help collect to data, so whether it's a lead or registration or survey data, we allow them to collect that information via online form, um, and we integrate with kind of third-party systems. And so uh, I've been at Formstack for nine uh, years. We've been around for 10 years as a company, so um, have been fortunate to grow up with the company, um, really started doing uh, the first bit of online marketing for them when we were just kind of uh, rolling out as a product. Uh, and have now developed a team of over, uh, I think we've got uh, 14, 15 people on a marketing team now, um, and we do everything kind of customer acquisition from uh, paid traffic, SEO, organic traffic, all of those kind of uh, lead drivers, and then we turn them into uh, customers. So I uh, have a lot of experience in, in um, developing marketing, online marketing programs, and then uh,
0: uh, developing
3: teams around kind of these online marketing programs.
0: Well, how do... Uh, How'd you get get to uh, uh, Formstack? What what's some of your background?
3: Yeah, so uh, I really—it's it, funny—I had a, uh, a PR background, so I was actually working in, in technology PR and was working with um, enterprise B two B customers and trying to get the story about you know kind of interesting new technologies in the business to business space. And uh, had a background in PR and um, happened to meet the founder of Formstack. Um and we just kind of our paths crossed and we started talking about kind of what he was looking for and my next challenge and uh kind of one thing led to another. I ended up uh taking on the job and at the time it was just kind of wearing a lot of different hats. I knew a bit of online marketing, knew uh, a lot about PR, I knew about uh how do you gain interest from um kind of an organic standpoint and so that's kinda of where we really started and taught myself a lot of the online marketing um Kind of process PPC advertising, banner advertising, SEO. Kind of taught myself along the way, and then, uh, was fortunate to very, very quickly hire people who were way smarter than I was uh, to get the job done.
0: You know that seems to be a key uh, <laughs> finding people who are smarter than you so, uh, to success.
3: That's the best um, way to go.
0: <laughs> now, Chris. T- Tell us a little bit about what you you found uh, about this whole area that could help our re- uh, um, our listeners. I want to say readers because we also have a online newsletter. But uh, t- tell us some of the things that you've, you your team has learned over the years that can can help us.
3: Yeah. So um, you know, more specifically, we kind of we we've done uh, very recently a kind of a conversion report. Um, and um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the the lead capture report kind of talked about um, identifying top problems that marketers face when generating leads, and how do we improve kind of lead quality and quantity, right? And I think one of the biggest things that we're kind of finding out is uh, really as online marketers and as we're trying to drive better qualified leads to um, our website and to um, you know whether it's a online commerce business or just kind of um, Product businesses, I think one of the things that we uh, that we uncovered in this lead capture report is that um, really having goals that are aligned with um, the the important metrics of the company are often where the initial breakdown is. Is because you you have to have an, a good understanding of what is it that you're trying to accomplish in an online marketing standpoint, and that's going to determine kind of the big drivers of uh, of your KPIs, and so. If it's lead quality, how do you, de- how do you define kind of uh, processes in your business that uh, get better leads and maybe you have to have less leads? Or if it's lead quantity, if you're judged as a marketer on lead quantity, then how do you drive uh, more leads into the system? Um, and maybe you can sacrifice a little bit of quality, but it's really having a good alignment uh, at the very start of what are the important metrics um, uh, for, your, for your online marketing efforts, and then how do you align campaigns around those things?
0: Well, give, give us some detail. You've you've said the process, but what are some of the things you look for, and in, uh, in these various uh, areas?
3: Yeah. Well, so I think one of the things is if you're talking about kind of lead uh, quantity, uh, then it's it's understanding how do we find the traffic, the the channels that are uh, good for driving um, traffic, right? And so. A lot of folks um, in our lead capture um, survey that we did, um, you know, they found that uh, a high volume of leads were coming through just their on-page conversions on their website. 24% of their, um, their best generating leads were uh, from a high volume leads was just clicking, somebody clicking on their page. Um, email marketing was the kind of second uh, biggest with 18% uh, driving the volume and then pay-per-click advertising was 17%. So it's understanding kind of what what are ways that we can drive traffic if we're looking at, again. If it's volume, then, you know, email marketing and pay-per-click from a um, paid standpoint probably – because you can buy as much traffic as you want, right, when you're talking about PPC. Um, so it's finding and understanding those channels that work best for you um, when you're trying to drive a high volume of leads. And then when it's, it's driving a, a quality metric, um, mm-hmm. it's understanding what are the, what are the things on page that are going to make people – either uh, kind of qualify them or disqualify themselves. And so um, it's really understanding what what are the things that we can do via an online form or, or page copy that uh, really speaks to that customer that we really want to target and then uh, disassociate those people that we don't want to target, right?
0: <clears throat> I see that. Well, uh, going on, uh, knowing that, what are some of the tricks – to to getting people to the site, to getting them to give you the leads. What have you learned? Your team learned?
3: Yeah. So I think um, you know, from from our perspective, it's it's all about uh, really understanding what is the what's the messaging that you want to lead with. So um, we do a lot of uh, customer interviews and looking at the way that people use our software, um, and then trying to match that messaging up with uh, our landing page copy, right? And so if it's somebody who let's use higher education. We have a lot of higher education uh, customers. Um, they really want to understand, do do we cut uh, down time on kind of building forms and uh, do we integrate with the systems that they integrate with? And so on our landing pages, we talk about those types of things. Um, if it's a small business for us that is really, you know, they most small businesses don't have a website um, or have a web team or a, a, a team of people that can... Uh, build their websites and build their online forms and so they want to know how powerful it is how it? Is, how easy uh, is it to use? And can I get in as a small business owner? Can I get in and build a form myself? And so that's the kind of copy that we talk to when we're talking to small businesses on that, on that landing page, for instance. Um, and so we try to match that copy along with that landing page copy and speak very specifically to that easy to use or that powerful um, uh, kind of keyword or key messaging. So that's that's what we found is, is if you can identify kind of use cases for your product or what kind of buyer are you trying hmm. to
0: that's fascinating. please continue give us some more of, of this type of information that's what <laughs> that's what we're all interested in
3: yeah well so it's so really i mean buyer uh, understanding the buyer is just really understanding who is your who is your key customer right and so that's... I think a lot of time marketers forget to kind of focus in on that because they focus in on what's important to them. Um, when really you should be focused in what are the um, what are the ways that your buyer um, are, is really going to use your product for? Um, you know, it's it's kind of what what's their job to be done, and it, can you can your product or service get that job done for them? And if you can speak to that, I think that uh, often helps people kind of connect those two. Um, those two dots of I've got a product to sell and I've got people that I know want to buy it, but I can't get them to do it. If you can find that what's their, what their job to be done is and if you can speak to that job, um, and then from a marketing perspective, I think you can create really compelling uh, messaging and copy and ads and things like that that speak to that. Hmm. It's,
0: just, just so fast, it's just so fascinating what you're talking about. Well... What is the downside? Uh, uh, You know, I often get across, like I just got an email across now that just said, well, uh, that's all well and good, but what are the downsides to some of these things that we're doing?
3: Well, I think from um, when we're talking about driving lots of leads, I think some of the downside is probably um, a bit of the spray-and-pray method. Um, You know, obviously, Obviously, when we're trying to build audience, um, when we're trying to attract eyeballs, we just kind of assume that we can throw a bunch of stuff out there. And uh, with a more um, under, with a more knowledgeable buyer nowadays, um, I think uh, I read research uh, a while back that said sixty um, percent of the buying process is done before somebody even hits your website. Um, so what you have is you have a more credible, more knowledgeable buyer. Um, and so there, you know, the days of A salesperson calling you up and saying, hey, I've got this widget. I'd love for you to check it out. And the buyer saying, oh, that's awesome. Tell me more about it, is is really gone because what's happened now is that that power is transformed um, into the customer's hands. And so oftentimes when we're trying to drive quality or quantity of leads and eyeballs and things like that, we often do the spray-a-pray method, um, thinking that we can drive a lot of people to our website. But what we end up driving is, is the wrong kind of people to our website. Somebody who's interested in your product or your service um, has probably already done a ton of research and they understand the ins and outs of who you are, your competitor, and things like that. And so what you really have to do, and that's where I talk about uh, understanding the, the job to be done, if you can tie those things together, when you have a more informed buyer, you can create that sale in a, in a much easier way, in a much faster way. So the downside is, is really just uh, attracting the wrong people to your website and, and spending the um, – Spending your valuable time on the wrong customer. When, if you narrow in on that targeting and get better kind of lead quality, you can uh, really hone in on who it is that you should be selling to. Well,
0: um, is it better to uh, uh, cast a wider net or a more focused net in terms of lead <clears throat>
3: generation? Yeah, I, I think um, I think it it again goes back to kind of aligning goals, right? If you're if you're looking for kind of top of funnel leads and um, if you're looking for, you want to just drive a bunch of people, and you want to drive awareness. I, I think something like a contest is really good because you can drive a lot of eyeballs. Um, but if you have a good kind of process behind that, so you run a contest and you run uh, a contest to your website, and you give away an iPad or something or a, uh, an Apple Watch, right? You're going to get mm-hmm. a ton of eyeballs. Um, but it's what do you do with those leads? How do you qualify those at the next step? And so. You can either do that in an online way. You can do that with a form, and you can ask some very qualified questions once you've got somebody in, um, or you can do it with a sales rep. It's kind of you know it kind of depends on what you have uh, at your disposal. Um, but I think that there's some some great ways to drive real top of the lead funnel um, and how you get more volume, right? Um, and then there's some programmatic ways in the back end to drive more quality. And so I think it's a it's it, it's aligning those goals, like I mentioned them very early on. What are your what are your key metrics? What do you want to Uh, how do you want those things to align Um, top of the funnel eyeballs right the more eyeballs we can get the bottom of the funnel and the middle of the funnel what is that buyer persona how are we solving that problem how do we get just those very qualified people at the door well
0: um, the the other other question I have is on uh, a follow up to me you know uh, I always mention if you go to an average trade show and you hand out your card a hundred times, you'd be surprised if, if seven people will actually follow up. Do you, do you try to kind of align the follow up with the lead generation?
3: Oh yeah, definitely. I think um, you know. I think when we're talking about kind of lead follow up, um, you know, it, it definitely aligns with. Um, that lead generation effort a lot of we do a lot of content marketing so in the in the lead capture report that I mentioned that we kind uh, of re- released earlier this year, uh, you know content marketing is still um, still kind of underused I think in our report, it was only six point three percent of the folks were using um, content marketing to drive uh, uh, new leads and so uh, I think what you can do is align. So if somebody's coming in on a piece of content that you created, um, and they're reading that piece of content. I think you should generate some sort of follow-up activity. Right? Hey, I saw that you downloaded our ebook, or have a sales rep call them. Hey, you know, Mark, I saw that you uh, I saw that you read our ebook, and did you know this, this, and this? And you can kind of follow up based on the content of that um, of that ebook. Now, if it's somebody clicking on your website, um, then you can kind of or somebody leaves uh, uh, a contact me information or a contact more information uh, off your website, I think you can follow up with that person very specifically in a different way than somebody following up on content, right? So if somebody submits something like at a trade show on your website that says, I want more information, you should be following up almost instantaneously because they're asking you to reach out to them, right? Um,
0: mm-hmm. So I think
3: it depends on where they are in that process. If they're downloading some content and just kind of reading it, there's sort of a softer approach. If somebody says, I want more information, there should be a very direct approach and says, hey, what's that information? How do I follow up with you? How can I help solve your problem?
0: Um, is this report available for us to read and for our audience to read?
3: It is, um, and I can – it's uh, formstack.com, and then it's a lead capture 2016 report, and I can um, – uh, share, we have a very specific link here, formstack.com slash report slash lead-capture2016, um, but I can definitely share that with you and you can post that on your site um, or uh, kind of however you communicate with with your uh,
0: listeners. Okay, spell spell out your, your what, website again since this is very much an audio program.
3: Yes, it's www.formstack.com. It's O R M S T A T K dot com.
0: No, very, very important. Uh, we often get emails back from when, when uh, this is not um, uh, brought out. But um, let me ask you another uh, um, question while, while we're on it. Um, uh, of, all of, the, uh, of all of the ways that you've seen to generate leads, which way do you recommend uh, seems to work the most effectively?
3: Yeah, um, you know, from, from, and again, I'll reference our, our lead capture report. Um, the one that we saw the most was just kind of on-site. Um, I think what we've seen as a business ourselves is uh, organic traffic. Obviously, um, organic traffic is the hardest um, to generate leads from, um, but uh, it's, it's taken us 10 years as a company to build our brand and to build um, credible kind of, public relations uh, articles and links and uh, content that we've created to drive uh, people back to our website. But I think that's often the best. Um, I think a lot of people want to use content marketing. They want to be uh, creators of content. And like I said, in our in our report, only 6.3% found that as a, uh, as a valuable way to drive leads. Um, <clears throat> But I think content marketing. A lot of people are doing it, but a lot of people are doing it wrong. They they look at it from a, how do I put some stuff out there, and how do I, uh, how do I put a bunch of content out there versus making some very actionable content. People that uh, making content that people actually want to use. Um, And I think that's the difference between people who do really good content marketing and drive really good leads off of content versus people who just say they do content marketing. Um, So I would say finding. Uh, finding organic traffic, uh, finding really good content marketing, um, and then uh, I think a lot of people still underestimate the power of email marketing. Um, it was, uh, you know, from our respondents, respondents, to 17 of the uh, of our customers were or the people that we surveyed were were using email marketing, and that was um, it's still a huge driver for them. Um, I think a lot of people look at kind of these newer mediums, social, whatever. Um, but email marketing is still a very powerful tool if you can do it in the right way. So, uh, those are probably three, three things that I would focus on.
0: Um, well, as we close up our, our visit, Chris, what, if you had one thing you had to, uh, to tell our audience about uh, lead, lead generation and, and changing, what would it be?
3: Yeah, I think um, again, I go back to kind of the simplicity of what are what are the goals that you have for lead generation? Is it is it a volume? Um, is it quantity? Uh, how do you or is it quantity? Is it quality? Uh, how do you define those things as a marketer, or as a business owner, um, and then figuring out what are the ways that I can drive uh, different kind of quality of leads or quantity of leads? I think paid. Um, Paid avenues are really good. You can buy traffic for cheap nowadays, but it's what's the quality of that traffic going to be? If you uh, if you really want quantity, you have to invest time in organic uh, marketing and content marketing and social media and email marketing, and those things just take time. So I think it's understanding what are the what are the main drivers of my business, um, what are the ways that I want to drive new leads, um, and then understanding what are the ways that I can drive leads and what do I have time for. Um, so I think those are kind of the the off and over, everybody wants new leads, right? Um, but you kind of have to understand what is the strategy behind each uh, each way of generating leads and then figuring out what do, you, what do you have the capacity for.
0: Well, that's really terrific. Chris Lucas, thank you for being with us today. I know I learned a lot, and I hope our audience did as well. Thank you again. And come back right, again thanks. next year and, and tell us a little bit more after you had another year of experience. With 11 years already, it's still a lot.
3: (laughs) Thank you, Donald. I appreciate appreciate you having me on.
0: No, we appreciate you you came. Thank you again, and have a good day. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us. But rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience and profits. Thank you for listening and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit.